Welcome to ReachMD. You are listening to Closing the Gaps in Non-Small Cell Lung Cancer, sponsored by Lilly. Non-small cell lung cancer accounts for 80% of lung cancer diagnosis, and despite a broadening portfolio of treatments available to patients, the need for finding more targeted therapies for this disease is absolutely critical. One such development that's guiding more personalized approaches to treatment is the emerging biomarker PDL1. On today's program, we'll dive into current understandings of this biomarker and some special considerations for patients with high PDL1 expression. Welcome to Closing the Gaps in Non-Small Cell Lung Cancer on ReachMD. I'm Mario Nasinovich, and here to share insights with us on therapeutic approaches for patients with high PDL1 expression is Dr. Michael Shafiq, Assistant Professor of Thoracic Oncology at the Moffitt Cancer Center in Tampa, Florida. Dr. Shafiq, welcome to the program. Thanks for having me. So, Dr. Shafiq, to start us off, can you give us some background on the role of PDL1 in non-small cell lung cancer? Absolutely. So, PDL1 stands for, for the programmed death ligand protein, and it's uh, it has a, a function in normal inflammatory responses in in the human body. It helps blunt adaptive immunity and helps prevent autoimmune disease. Uh, unfortunately, this pathway is co-opted by cancers. Uh, and what it what it can do is the PDL1 protein on tumor cells and other antigen presenting cells in in a patient's body will reduce the immune system's ability to fight cancer cells. And what would be characterized as a high PDL1 expressing patient? Yeah, so by most measurements, at least in non-small cell lung cancer, we assess the percentage of tumor cells that express the PDL1 protein on their surface. We use uh, cutoffs of 50% or greater to indicate high PDL1 expression. And about 30% of non-small cell lung cancer patients will fall into this category. What has the response been like from the oncology community toward adding this and other emerging biomarkers into their scope of practice? So the response, at least in the community, has been very rapid in their uptake of the PDL1 marker in, in their testing. It's a pretty simple test to do. It utilizes immunohistochemistry, so it's a very common procedure that uh, pathology labs can do. It also requires a small amount of viable tissue in order to run that test, so the, the uptake has been pretty rapid in the community. Have there been any hurdles to work through in terms of reliably identifying patients with high PDL1 expression or making this testing accessible in both academic and community settings? I think the, the most challenging thing we faced up front, I think, was even though it does require a small amount of tissue to run the test, I do think initially when patients would get testing of pleural effusions to test for malignant effusions or if they had bronchoscopic examinations with lymph node biopsies, uh, we sometimes, even in those small samples, lacked enough tissue to run a pdl one test for patients. But I think most folks in the community these days are getting adequate tissue even from these samples or taking extra passes on bronchoscopic biopsies in order to have enough tissue to run these tests. For those just tuning in, you're listening to Closing the Gaps in Non-Small Cell Lung Cancer on ReachMD. I'm Mario Nasinovich, and joining me today is Dr. Michael Shafiq, Assistant Professor of Thoracic Oncology at the Moffitt Cancer Center. So, Dr. Shafiq, now that we have a better understanding of this biomarker and identifying high PDL1 expressing patients, let's shift over to its impacts on your treatment approach. First, what are the specific considerations we should be factoring into the equation when selecting initial therapies? Yeah, I think uh, in non small cell lung cancer patients, I think the important 
uh, first considerations are to look at the histology of the patient to understand if it's a primary squamous cell carcinoma or if it's a mixed adenocarcinoma or a, a pure adenocarcinoma sample. The second thing then to look at is additional molecular testing. And this is most important in the adenocarcinoma patients. So we would want to make sure that they've had full molecular profiling of it, of the EGFR, of any EGFR mutation, any ALK rearrangement or ROS1 rearrangement. And then we want to look at if uh, the patient is significantly symptomatic from their underlying disease. And so even if a patient has a high pdl one expression of 50% or greater, uh, some of these other considerations may um, tilt us in favor of, of using a different approach than we than the typical recommendations would be for a high pdl one expressor. And once the initial treatment approach is selected, how and when do you follow your patients to confirm that the targeted therapy is working effectively? Yeah, absolutely. So the typical uh, guideline uh, now is for for patients who have a high PD-L1 expression, and if they are adenocarcinoma patients and don't have an EGFR, ALK, or ROS1 abnormality, they start checkpoint inhibitor therapy, typically with pembrolizumab, and they receive this infusion every three weeks. And typically after two to three cycles, I'll repeat CT scans to, to reassess the, um, the treatment response. Um, we're also following symptoms of the patients as well. Typically, if patients are responding rapidly to treatment, we'll notice significant improvement in, in their presenting symptoms. Other things to look out for are any rapid deterioration in their symptoms. That would be an indication that potentially their tumor is not responding as we had hoped to, uh, to pdl one directed monotherapy. What are some of the factors you've seen in practice that have either helped or harmed the effectiveness of pdl one targeted therapies in high expression patients? So we occasionally will run into patients who have autoimmune disease, and that presents a, a challenge for PD-1, pdl one directed therapy. Typically, as I mentioned previously, PD, uh, the PD-1, pdl one interaction is important to prevent autoimmune disease. So blockade of this interaction with the medicine like pembrolizumab or any of the other checkpoint inhibitors does have the um, risk of causing worsening of underlying autoimmune conditions. So it's not an absolute contraindication to the use of these therapies in patients with autoimmune disease, but we really try to pick patients who, who you know, perhaps they have rheumatoid arthritis that's been in remission for, for several years, or they have a history of, uh, of another autoimmune condition that doesn't require intensive immunosuppression. These are kinds of patients that would potentially benefit from a trial of immunotherapy. And even if their autoimmune disease worsens slightly, we could still control them and symptomatically control their uh, worsening autoimmune disease during the anti-cancer treatment. But if they have a significant underlying autoimmune disease, such as Crohn's disease, ulcerative colitis, or they're pretty symptomatic from that, then uh, you know, immunotherapy with a checkpoint inhibitor could actually make that situation a lot worse, and we tend to, to shy away from initiating checkpoint inhibitors in patients like that. Looking ahead, what's on the research or practice horizon in terms of improving detection and treatment capabilities with this biomarker? Yeah, I think it's an open question in terms of whether patients with high, high expression of pdl one benefit from the addition of chemotherapy 
to the uh, checkpoint inhibitor monotherapy. Currently, the, the preferred option is to use the monotherapy, such as pembrolizumab. However, there is uh, some thought that there are a subset of patients, even with high expression of pd one who may benefit from the addition of chemotherapy. And right now, there are ongoing clinical trials uh, sponsored by cooperative groups uh, that are looking at the optimal sequencing of chemotherapy and immunotherapy to, to, to address that question. And as we come to a close, Dr. Shafiq, could you share any additional thoughts for those in our audience who are currently managing patients with non-small cell lung cancer? Yeah, I think the important thing, probably the most important um, thing I would, I would tell, patient, uh, tell uh, physicians taking care of uh, patients with high expressing pdl one positive non-small cell lung cancer is to really trust your, trust your judgment of, of the patient sitting in front of you. So if, if they uh, are pretty symptomatic or if you're at all concerned that even monotherapy may not be as beneficial, I, I think you know, consideration can be given to giving patients chemotherapy plus immunotherapy combinations up front. It's, it's definitely a, a potential option and, and within the guidelines to do so. So I would really, you know, trust your judgment as far as the symptoms of the patient and the clinical uh, situation uh, in which the patient is. Those are all great things for us to keep in mind. And as that brings us to the end of today's program, I want to thank my guest, Dr. Michael Shafiq, for sharing insights with us on effective therapeutic approaches for patients with high pdl one expression. Dr. Shafiq, it was great having you on the program. Thanks so much. Thanks for having me. The preceding program was sponsored by Lilly. Content for this series is produced and controlled by ReachMD. This series is intended for healthcare professionals only. To revisit any part of this discussion and to access other episodes in this series, visit ReachMD.com slash NSCLC.